Well, good morning to you. This morning's verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. This is Leah Brewer's verse. She stuck another verse in. That's good. That's good. We need more verses. This is one of her favorites. Mine too, Leah. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Our hope is that blessed hope, Christ Jesus coming to catch his church away as we spend eternity with him in heaven. Well, this morning I want us to continue with our study on walk this way. Walk this way. How would God have us to live? How would God have us to live our lives? As believers, it should be our desire to live the way that God has called us to live. Now, you may say, well, we're not under the law. We're under grace, and that is true. Hey, and I, you're absolutely right. But I can tell you this. No, we're not under the law. But there are pretty clear instructions for us to follow throughout the Scriptures for those people who desire to be a witness and a testimony for God. So walk this way. And I can't think of any other chapter in any other book of the Bible that demonstrates this, that talks about this more than Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It is the ultimate walk this way chapter in the Bible with all of these incredible, incredible scripture verses. Now let me warn you. What you need to understand, what you need to know, folks, is in order to walk His way, there is a cost involved. There's a cost involved. The benefits are out of this world, but there is a cost the world is going to hate those people who dare to stand against its standards and proclaim the standards of God. A conflict with the world will arise 100% of the time when you choose to walk this way. In the very first verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 tells you exactly what God expects. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now that word followers is an extremely important uh, word. The word followers there is mimetis. We get the word mimic from this word. It means be an imitator. 
Be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. Now, I don't have to tell you, you can't imitate all of God's attributes, all of God's character. I mean, he's omnipotent. You can't imitate that. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You can't imitate that. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't imitate that character, that attribute. But there are several others that God expects you to imitate. He's a God of love. You can imitate that characteristic. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of righteousness. And he's a God of long-suffering. As a matter of fact, that's probably the one attribute of God that I find the most amazing, especially when you think that he's all-knowing. He knows my thoughts. He's all-powerful. He, he's long-suffering in spite, in spite of the way I behave sometimes, in spite of the way you behave sometimes. He is long-suffering. I got to tell you this morning, I'm glad that he's long-suffering. I'm glad that he looked beyond my faults and he saw my need and he met that need on Calvary's cross as payment in full, as we've been talking about this morning, was made. As a matter of fact, there were a bunch of scoffers and critics that cornered Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, they were saying, well, where's this coming back? He hasn't, he's not, he hasn't come back. And ever since the beginning, people have been talking about he's coming back and he hasn't come back yet. How come he hasn't come back? And so they made an issue of that. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter answers that in a most loving, most caring in a much descriptive way that kind of explains why we as Gentiles can sit here this morning and worship him and sing praises to him because Peter's answering this group of Jews who come before him and they say, where's, where's this coming? How come he hasn't come? Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you want to know why God delays his coming? For the church, the body of Christ, which we're going to be caught up in the rapture, and his second coming, why God holds off the tribulation that is so descriptive in the Scripture is because he's long-suffering. See, he knows what you think. He, know, he, he knows 
everything there is to know about you. And in spite of knowing all those things about me, he still loves me. He is long-suffering. So God's Word calls us to be an imitator of him, and that means long-suffering. And I have a confession. That's the one that's probably the most difficult for me sometimes. When I see the way people behave, I'm glad my wife's long-suffering. But God's Word always also calls us or tells us that, that He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's all of those things, and we are to imitate that. Now, let me share something really quickly. When we say that God is love, you need to understand that's not all God is. See, that's the way the world, the world tries to say, oh, God is love. He is loving, but that's not all He is. God is merciful. God is gracious. But He's just not love. And they try to make that, if, if you want to know God, you just need to know love. My, my question when I talk to people sometime and they'll throw that out. Usually it's right after, judge not lest thou be judged. That, that's the first scripture they throw out. The second scripture is, well, God is love. Well, he's a whole lot more. But my question to them is, okay, well, but what type of love are we talking about here? Yes, God is love, but will you, will you share with me which type of love are you talking about here? Are you talking about uh, eros? Because, you know, the Greeks, they pretty much did it right. They had like five or six different words for love, and based on the word they used, you knew what kind of love they were talking about. Well, what kind of love are you talking about? Because, see, when you say, well, God is love, and so as long as you're loving, why, that is okay. Why, it's, it, you're demonstrating God if you're loving the love it's talking about here is the kind of love God is. He is agape. That's a godly love. has nothing to do with eros. It has nothing to do even with family love or brotherly love. It has to do with a godly love where the object that is cared for is loved regardless of whether it deserves to be loved or not. That's what agape is, is where it loves the object that's being cared for regardless of where that object needs to be loved or not. It's not about what you're going to give back to me. It's how can I do what is best for you? And that is the kind of love that God has for us. So when it says God is love, you need to take it to the very max to understand that he did exactly what was needed to be done for the object that he cared for. And that object is us. We are that object. 1 Corinthians 13 really describes the kind of love that agape love is. And it, it is an amazing love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. 
charity or love. This is, and guess which word this is? Agape. Agape suffers long, or it's long-suffering, and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Does not seek her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Man, this is very descriptive. Well, it is God's love. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Agape, God's type of love, never fails. And God's word is clear. That's the type of love we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are to demonstrate. We are to be imitators of that type of love, that type of long-suffering. We are to be merciful. We are to be gracious. God's Word tells us that be holy even as I am holy is what God's Word says. I wrote something down here from Charles Spurgeon. If I could read my own writing. Holiness is not the way to Christ. And I wrote it sideways, so sorry. I'm having to do this. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. See, apart from Him, there is no holiness. And holiness and righteousness are not the same thing. Righteousness is being right before God. Holiness is being separated. See, God is holy. He is separated. He is high and lifted up. And we are to be separated unto Him. There's a difference. But we are to be holy. It's not something that you can work toward. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you could ever, ever, ever accomplish on your own. Isn't that amazing? It can only be realized in Christ. I think one of the most fascinating scriptures in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that tells us that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. We have been made, we have not earned, we have not merited, we have not done anything, we have been made. Who made you righteous? God did. You have, the fact that by faith you've believed in Christ and by, by God's working power and might, you were placed in the body of Christ. You are sealed into the day of redemption. You stand in Christ righteous. You have been made. That was an act of God, not because you said, God, look how wonderful I am. Look how good I am. Look what I've accomplished for you. But you came and you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm undeserving. I can't save myself. By faith, I trust in you. And that moment, you are made righteousness of God in Christ. Someone who'll do that for you is worth 
imitate him. Amen? So be ye therefore imitator, imitators of God, being mimics of God. And walk in love as Christ hath also loved us. Well, first of all, that dearly beloved there in verse 1, that's the same word that's used in Matthew 3.17 when God the Father says, this is my beloved Son. You stop and think about it. The very same word that God the Father uses concerning God the Son is the same word He uses about you. That He use, uses in reference to you. This is my beloved son. He tells you to be imitators of God as dear children, as beloved children, the exact same word. And that tells me that I'm, ta- I'm to take that verse personally. I'm to take it personally. I'm to realize that God calls me, desires for me to have that intimate relationship with him as a result of what he has accomplished for me on Calvary's cross. Not wanting to walk the way of the world, but to walk the way of God. And walk in love. Guess which word, the Greek word that is? It's agape. It's not any of the other five Greek words for love. And walk in the type of love that just has you pouring yourself out for that object that you care for. And walk in love. There's nothing sensual. There's nothing selfish. There is nothing demanding. There is nothing prideful. There's absolutely nothing that can describe that word. other than God himself, his character, his attributes. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. How did Christ love you? He loved you sacrificially. He loves you. He was submissive to the will of the Father. That's that's what God's Word calls us, to walk in love. Talk about walk this way. We're to walk as Christ loves us, not as the other Gentiles walked, you know, we talked about that when we were in Ephesians 4. Not the way the Gentiles walk. It's tough sometimes when you hear the truth. But that's what God calls us to do. God's Word is so convicting, isn't it? God's Word is so powerful. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. I would even call that a requirement, Christian. I would, rec- I would call that a requirement for someone who claims the name of Christ Jesus to want to live their lives according to His Word and to walk in love 
and hath given himself for us. That is an amazing statement because that really can almost define what agape is. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. There is not any of the other loves that do what this love does. And hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The sacrifice of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross satisfied God's righteous requirement as the wages of sin is death. And when Christ was hanging on the cross, God accepted that sacrifice as payment in full and considered that sacrifice a sweet-smelling savor, an offering unto Him payment in full. How absolutely thrilling that ought to be to us. And you know what God's Word tells us about that? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. God's Word calls us to be a sweet-smelling a sweet savor also. You are called upon to be, if you want to be an imitator of God, you're, there needs to be a fragrance about you that leaves no doubt who you love, who you serve, who you live for. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 14. I knew there was a 4 in there someplace. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes up us to triumph in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're not going to triumph. But He always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest. Here you go. Makes known the savor or the fragrance of His knowledge by us in every place. I love that word picture. I love the thought of that, that everywhere we go, all the people we meet, the things that we do should just demonstrate, should give off a fragrance that is so lovely, that is so caring, that just smells like God's love and mercy and long-suffering. He makes known the fragrance of His knowledge by us. Can people tell that you love God by your lifestyle? Can people tell that you have a relationship with God by your lifestyle? Verse 3, see, we're not under the law, we're under grace, amen? But there are things that God's Word tells us to do and things that God's Word tells us not to do. Verse 3, things that it tells us not to do 
in order to be pleasing with God. Listen, Christian, you are saved eternally. You belong to Christ. You are in His body. You, are, you have that eternal security. You are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ, sealed into the day of redemption. We've talked about that. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus that was an extremely sinful place. The church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Rome, all of these. Man, they had struggles. And Paul is wanting to make sure they understand that this newfound relationship they have with God has expectations. And he's making sure they understand it. But fornication and all uncleanness, and you want to know, we're running out of time, you want to know what the uncleanness is? Go to Romans 1. Start with verse 24. Read all about it. Vile. Filthy. Or covetousness, which let it not once be named among you as become saints. He's talking to saints, but he's listing these things, and he's basically saying, don't do these things. Neither filthiness, these things that are vile, nor foolish talking, that's gossip, that's coarse vulgarity and gossip, nor jesting, that's irreverent conversation. And believe me, Christians, Christians participate in that. They shouldn't, but they do. Which are not convenient or befitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this we know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You show me an individual that does these things, I'll show you somebody that does not know the Lord on a, on a routine basis that this is the lifestyle they've adopted and adapted to. I'll show you a person who has never had their life changed by a relationship with God. Doesn't mean that Christians aren't going to fall. Doesn't mean that Christians aren't going to sin. Doesn't mean that Christians aren't going to make mistakes. But you show me a man or a woman who lives this lifestyle, I will show you someone who has never been made a new creation. And that's, that, that's I think that's what Paul is trying to get across here. And even verse 6 it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words or empty words. They were hearing things like, ah, that's okay. God's a God of love. He the Things that are empty, things that do not benefit the hearer's walk with the Lord. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He'd already addressed that in Ephesians 2, too. He talked about the works of darkness or the works that Satan performs. And he's saying, don't walk in that lifestyle. Don't walk in that way. Don't live in that fashion. Your lives have been changed. You've been made new creations. He, we, we are being presented with a phenomenal outline on how we should then live. Be ye therefore, be not ye therefore partakers 
with them. For you were sometimes darkness. See, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say you were sometimes in darkness. You were sometimes darkness. See, that's God's attitude toward those who are outside of him. You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, not as children of the dark. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. In other words, the light is going to produce that fruit that others can see in your life, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Who do you think is at the head of the unfruitful works of darkness? Satan himself. Our enemy. But rather reprove them. And we've gone over that many times. Hey, you can't reprove something if you don't judge something, right? How are you going to reprove something if you're making a judgment call? If you're going to reprove it, if you're going to shine light on it, you are judging. Fruit inspecting, if you will. Have no unfruitful, uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Kind of gives you an idea of the vileness. So, what to do, what not to do. Well, next week we're going to talk about what to do. And it gets much more bubblier. It gets much more exciting. It gets much more thrilling. It's not nearly as depressing. We get what not to do out of the way. And you're saying, ah, we don't do that anyway. Okay. But sometimes we don't do what we should do either. But, but here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is God loves us. Christ died for us. offers the gift of eternal life, makes us new creations, makes us righteous. Folks, what a plan of salvation. And so many people reject it. That's what I don't understand. I don't understand. I can understand the world enticing I can understand the world saying, hey, come over here. This is fun. This is game. I, I, and, and thinking, you know what? That, was it somebody that used to say that the grass is always greener? Uh, and then I forgot who it was that said, yeah, but that's over the septic tank. I, don't, I forgot now who, who said that. But that was a long time ago. The grass is always greener on the other side. And then he said, well, yeah, but that's where our septic tank is. God is a righteous judge. He is a holy God. And he, he calls us to service. He calls us to be followers, imitators, mimics of him. What a privilege. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we come acknowledging 
that what an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God you are, and we stand in awe and wonder and amazement. But Father, knowing that you are all those things and one day we will be answerable to you, Father, without exception, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory, Father. We thank you for that salvation that we have in Christ. So we do not have to fear that day. And I pray this morning that every person who's here today knows you as Savior. Father, that as we read these scriptures, as we learn these things, Father, the guilt that we feel is guilt from the Holy Spirit convicting and moving and shaping to draw us closer to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your instruction. Father, may we apply it to our lives in a loving manner. Now, Father, I pray your blessings on each and every family here. Father, I lift each family up before you. Pray for our church. Father, may we be bold in our stand for you. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.